politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter before it's too late. And that time is right now because it is rapidly becoming too late. Here, our first full week of 2024. It's January 8th. It is Monday. And we're ready to go here. We're ready to go to discuss results, outcomes, strategies. You know, I saw on Twitter, and I really wish I can give credit, uh, someone named Florida Native retweeted this. I'm not sure where it originated from. Strong minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Weak minds discuss people. And (laughs) if you think very carefully, go down your list of the top 50 on iTunes among conservative media. Ideas events, people. And I think you're going to see a perfect uh, relationship and correlation there. Look, we're starting off the week with Speaker Mike Johnson obviously betraying us uh, yet again. We always knew this. Um, Not only do they not fight or even give us a few little things, they go backwards. You know, I was going to tell you that what we're seeing among Republican leaders with the budget fight is the same old, same old. But it's not really true. We're actually going backwards. And I think that's an important thing to ponder. You see, it became self-evident between Republicans having power under Bush and squandering it on Fallujah and Kabul and Baghdad urban renewal projects, all the while the left tightened the noose around our neck and, you know, remade the country. And then going into Obama, where he just jolted that Overton window and, and used power for his purposes to control healthcare, the biggest sector of our economy, and that really led to COVID fascism. There was a reawakening, and it was around that era that I got started professionally. There was a reawakening that, okay, it's not enough to just elect Republicans anymore. We got to do something about the Republican Party. And it was a fight, and we started with primaries, and I've talked about this many times, it really didn't work. But push comes to shove, over the course of a few years, we were starting to gain momentum, and finally defeat people, and that culminated with my involvement with the defeat of the House Majority Leader Eric Cantor uh, in 2014. And we thought that we were on the way to at least creating a movement on the right that would no longer tolerate a lack of results, a lack of outcomes, a Republican Party that is constantly in bed with the other side. And we would actually have a direction to use our sphere of influence where it actually mattered and could make a difference. But instead, what happened was Trump came along, hijacked our movement. It all became about fealty to one man. He became president and not only squandered the opportunity, which might have been the last opportunity to save ourselves on so many fronts, but because there was such a dichotomy between the impression he gave the left and the right about the magnitude of what he was going to do versus what he actually did, the left mobilized as if he was the greatest threat, and then he didn't have a response to that and often went along with it. 
And that's how you had the debt inflation. That's how you had the COVID fascism. And that's how you had the growth of brazen mass migration that started, believe it or not, under Trump. And and, and, and we're going to get to that. So as we start this week with Congress getting back into a session, just a week left until the Iowa caucuses, I want you to understand, and this is really what we're all about here. I'm called the prophet of woe and lamentation by Steve Dace. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm here to get you depressed. Woe and lamentation means, I mean, the book of Lamentations, the book of Jeremiah, is about one theme. And that is that it doesn't have to be this way. It's not inevitable. Oh my gosh, we're screwed. No, we don't have to be screwed. We're making ourselves screwed because we're screwing ourselves with a leadership of conservatives that's full of grifters that inculcate people's minds, not with ideas, but with at best events, but usually people. And in this case, one person alone. And they constantly distract you with everything that doesn't matter or doesn't matter enough. In the way it doesn't matter, at the time it doesn't matter. They wield their influence over issues, ideas, places, people over which they have no influence. And then the people over which they do have influence, or the states where they have influence, they're completely silent. And that's how we're in the situation where, where House Republicans like Mike Johnson could basically uh, give us a colonoscopy in broad daylight and not suffer any consequences. We'll continue voting for them in the general election. We will fail to mobilize and focus on the primaries. Trump set us backwards on that light years, by the way. So, you know, everyone's like, are they stupid? Who's advising? I saw someone say, who's, who's advising Mike Johnson? I said, what do you, what do you mean? Who's advising him? I, if I were a political advisor that had no soul and no beliefs, I would advise him the same way. This is the advice that McConnell's people said many years ago. They said they have nowhere else to go, and ultimately they're not going to do anything about it. At best, after each uh, budgetary or legislative act of uh, political adultery, you'll have a half a day of a handful of conservative talkers you know, sigh about it a little bit. They won't build pressure for months before. They won't act afterwards. Oh my gosh, we need to throw these people out in the primaries. We're finally going to mobilize. No, it's nothing. Oh, today we have a talking point, something of substance, a uh, budget. Oh yeah, yeah, it's bad. Okay, back to the next thing. Hunter Biden. With the thwomp. This is the vicious cycle we are in. And what I'm here to tell you is as we focused over the years on congressional primaries, gubernatorial primaries, state legislative fights, congressional fights, when Republicans controlled power, and yes, now, a presidential primary, when on paper you have someone who, you know, realistically is the best you can really get and have gotten, and every flaw that is in this man for the last eight years is a strength in DeSantis, and for some it's not good enough. So I'm here to lay down a marker that we could have accomplished so much more over the last generation. It didn't have to be this way. Had we had a focused movement, we could have prevented a lot of this travesty, and Florida proves that. Because, like I say all the time, we have 20 solid red states that you can never lose, and Republicans have controlled the House of Representatives 
which is the house that you're, you more easily control with a simple majority. For the majority of, of our life since 1994, 1995, and this is where we are on culture, immigration, spending, freedoms, everything. It didn't have to be this way, and it still doesn't have to be this way. But it only is this way because we have a fake movement that perfectly subverts and distracts people so they can't think straight and understand what they're trying to even accomplish. I mean, we're staring down the barrel right in front of us. A week away, where with the power of probably 60,000 people in a state of Iowa turning out really in just one hour period of time for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, you show up, someone speaks. The wind chills will be below zero in Iowa. Those people could determine the arc of history. And not that, oh, it makes that much of a difference who's the nominee and ultimately who's president, but to finally break us out of this vicious cycle of irrelevance, of distraction, of subversion. Someone who's more often, much more often, a tailwind rather than a headwind to every other project we're trying to do. It's not just about president. So I want to start off with the congressional stuff, and it's going to tie into why ultimately we're going to continue losing at a congressional legislative level until we have a leader at the top who's willing to change it. We never had that, remember. Remember, we never had that. Right when we were starting to build that, Trump came in and filled that vacuum as if he was going to do it and obviously didn't do that. And he went along with it. I want to go through a couple of biblical verses here. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We have to understand what we're doing is not right. It's not working. Beseech the Lord for something better. Turn away from those ways. And you'd be shocked at what is achievable. It really is very achievable. It's right in front of us. But we don't see it. Why not? See, when, when I focus your brain on fluff, it's not just, oh, you know, well, you know, no runs, no hits, no errors. Kind of a distraction, but not bad. What that does is it prevents you from, affir- from seeking an affirmative, positive path, a path out. Like I said, even in a, the worst case scenario where the left kind of gains more power, more prominence, more you know, popularity in the polls, there was always so much more we could have done to win both policy-wise and electorally. But we never did it because we have a bunch of leaders that are all about power, fame, and money, and earning a living. So they never felt that need to do this, because why? And they still don't. There's an interesting dichotomy in Exodus, beginning of Exodus. 
when God sends Aaron to speak to the people and inform them that after 210 years, they're going to be taken out of Egypt by the God of Abraham. Exodus 4.31. So he, he spoke these words, gave over the prophecy that God told to Moses. And the people believed, and they heard that the Lord had remembered the children of Israel, and that he saw their affliction, and they kneeled and prostrated themselves. In other words, they're like, yeah, amen. Amen. But then what's weird is just a little bit later, chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, meaning kind of repeated the same thing. Hey, good times are coming. We're taking you out. Don't worry. Help is on the way. But they did not hearken to Moses because of their shortness of breath and because of their hard labor. Now, shortness of breath could be breath, but it could also mean spirit. Short-circuited spirit. They were lacking spirit. And that was partly because of the latter part of the verse, the hard labor. You see, in between chapter 4 and chapter 6, it's chapter 5, where Pharaoh makes things worse and says, all right, you know, you, don't, you not only have to build the fortresses with, with the bricks, but you now have to find the raw materials to create the bricks. And the idea was that there would be no respite, no moment of placidity in the human brain of the enslaved Jews to think for a moment for themselves. So they just constantly just put one foot after another that uh, with a slave mentality that it must be this way. We don't have any other option. There's no way we could be redeemed. And that's what you want to do if you want to keep people enslaved. You keep them compl- their mind completely occupied and controlled. In this case, it was through hard labor. In our case, it might not be with hard labor, but it's with an intellectual inundation of irrelevant nonsense and false choices. Oh, you're the establishment? Oh, you're with Trump. And that sort of nonsense. And this is what we're left with. And so, so you know, because a lot of people are, are going to be talking today about Mike Johnson screwing us and forging a deal with Biden. But it's not in a vacuum. What it demonstrates is eight years into Trump, and this is Trump. He might not be president, but he is leader of the party, 100% control of every apparatus of the right. And yet, we're actually backwards from the Boehner days. During, let me say this. As much as we bashed Boehner, and we could have gotten more, Boehner did secure more with the Budget Control Act under Obama than we're getting right now. We have gone backwards because back then we had at least a growing, wasn't enough, but a growing degree of focus on substance, on the issues that matter, the legislation that matters, the leverage points. And we started, I mean, you know, we started to, to do that. This was all buried alive. Everyone's like, oh, Trump buried the establishment. No, he buried the budding anti-establishment movement by filling the vacuum as if he was that movement and ultimately helped it, a.k.a. the dictionary definition of a controlled opposition. So let's talk about this budget disgrace. Okay? Basically, just to understand the details here, so to set it up, and again, this is not in a vacuum. We saw this coming. Most of the Trump movement, including Trump himself, 
this time of year, literally this day, this day, a year ago, dumped on the movement to get rid of McCarthy. Trump pressured and whipped members to support McCarthy. That's when we had the leverage to change leaders properly. So instead, we had to accept a negotiated deal that you know was something, but it wasn't quite what we could have gotten without Trump screwing us. And then we had the debt ceiling bill, where they basically suspended the debt ceiling for the remainder of um, Biden's presidency in return for illusory spending cuts, which led to the greatest, aside from the COVID lockdown month itself, the greatest expansion of the debt in American history, roughly $2.6 trillion over just seven months. And that's, that's what the GOP Congress achieved. And then what happened was, then we had the September 30th budget deadline. Chip Roy had a plan that was the most achievable plan to push a government shutdown over an issue that would unite everyone. The, 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 the Trump movement misfired. Suddenly, then they wanted to get out McCarthy at the wrong time. Then the, the rest of the conference felt bad for McCarthy because they felt it was unjust. So then we had a weak hand to play. So then we got stuck with Mike Johnson. Then Mike Johnson screwed us on the next budget. He's like, oh, let's kick it into next year. So you have four of the 12 appropriation bills expiring January 19th, eight of them expiring uh, February 2nd. Then he screws us on the NDAA, gives the Democrats everything they want, plus tax on FISA reauthorization. We would have had that expired simply by doing nothing. right? Some people will say, well, Daniel, we don't have control. No, it's not true. Simply by doing nothing, they needed the House to support it, tax it on the NDAA, takes that leverage away. And that leads us to the fin- what's viewed as the final budget deadlines for f- fiscal year 2024. Now, it's important to recognize there was one silver lining piece of leverage that was born out of the law passed pursuant to the debt ceiling, you know, expansion at the beginning of June of last year. And that was the Massey plan, and this is why, you know, Massey supported it, much to my chagrin, everyone's chagrin. But, you know, this was kind of his provision that they they did put in there, and he felt it was it was progress. Now, I kind of saw this happening, but let's just set it up. The opportunity was that if you if you pass a CR for the remainder of the year, Normally, a CR locks in, you know, 100%. It's the current trajectory. But pursuant to the previous law, the effect of simply passing a CR would automatically result in a 1% across the board spending cuts. Okay? That would have been about $100 billion in spending cuts. Something, again, none of this is going to change the trajectory. We're way over the line. Trump's presidency ensured that, by the way, and COVID. So, but okay, it would have been something. So Mike Johnson approaches the deadline, not only telling Biden, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of a government shutdown. We got to pass something. But that he was even scared of the automatic 1% spending cut. So he's like, see, the idea of Massey was to say, look, you're going to play ball with us to forge a new budget this year with some, at least some of the policies and provisions that we like. Otherwise, you're going to have some pain of across-the-board 1% cuts anyway. 
Johnson comes up to them and says, we definitely don't want the 1% cuts, so let's just give me something. So obviously you saw Biden and Schumer put out a press release bragging about this deal, and for good reason. That not only does it give them everything it wants, it actually gets rid of the automatic 1% cuts. And not only that, it, so when, when they set the budget caps under the debt ceiling deal, the annual discretionary spending budget caps, McCarthy gave Biden a side deal, um, a side deal commitment that he's going to backfill some of the you know minor cuts under the budget caps for non-discretionary spending, non-defense spending to sixty nine billion worth for the, for this year. And the understanding was, well, at least if you get in Mike Johnson, he he won't honor that commitment. It's not in the actual text. So not only does Johnson agree to cement the debt ceiling deal, okay, it's one point six nine or six five eight trillion discretionary spending, eight hundred eighty six billion for defense, seven hundred seventy two point seven billion for non defense, but locks in and codifies, and he's going to pass the side deal of the sixty nine billion extra. Now you'd be like Daniel. I mean, how how does he save face? How does he get away with that? So the game they play is they say, well, we're going to offset it with rescissions, unspent COVID funding and unspent IRS funding. Now, as you well know, when you have a debt crisis and you need to cut things, you don't say, oh, well, we're going to you know, use a, an accounting uh, method of savings based on things we never were going to spend. Well, no, you get that for free. You don't have to fight for that. I mean, you didn't spend it, you didn't spend it. But that, that, that's the game. And by the way, the, the, the brilliance of the Democrats, they actually practice the art of the deal, where Trump himself in the book wrote, you ask more than what you think you're going to get and, or more than what you want. So what the left did with both COVID and the IRS is they had these ungodly sums of money, right? So, so we all know that when they wrote into the Green New Deal, appropriations for 80,000 new IRS agents, right? Even if you want to turn the country into an IRS police state, they literally don't have 80,000 people with an accounting degree to even hire. I mean, it just, that, that was never going to happen. You know, you hire another five, 7,000, you have tyranny beyond belief. They don't need that. So what they did was they, they built in this insane 80,000 stuff. So the right would go nuts, all oh, 80,000. And then they, 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 they would look magnanimous to, in the future, offset anything. So to prevent us from fighting on real spending cuts and the border and the Green New Deal and all this other stuff that means more. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're going to give cuts to the IRS. Cuts to the IRS. Which is insane. So we double the IRS's budget, but we didn't like quintuple it so therefore, we're going to have cuts. And the same thing for the COVID spending. Brilliant. Brilliant idea. But it's, only, it's not really brilliant because it's pretty out in the open how crazy it is. It's, it's only looks brilliant when you have a retarded Republican Party. Now, look, I don't blame, I don't blame Mike Johnson because at the end of the day, what is going to happen to him? What's going to happen to Republicans? You're like, Daniel, come on. There's no way they're going to vote for this. They already did every other time. It's the same thing. They'll get 
every Democrat to support it, and they'll get a majority, you know, because they don't want a minority of Republicans. It's bad press for them. They'll get just about a majority. You'll get like 120 or so Republicans, and the rest are free to vote no, hope yes, vote no. You know, except for maybe the core 50, 60 that genuinely don't like it. And there you go. We're going to continue spinning our wheels until the end of time. I've been doing this for 15 years. It's not going to end. And meanwhile, the noose is tightening around our necks. Now, by the way, so what um, the interesting thing is, Johnson writes in his dear colleague letter to Republicans that, well, this is only the spending issue, but there's still the policies. He said that, you know, by by forging this agreement, it will free up Republicans to, quote, fight for important policy riders included in our House fiscal 2024 bills. Now, on paper, that could be true, that this only locks in the spending, but you could still have individual, you know, policy defund fights, uh, you know, the Green New Deal and the border, obviously, catch and release and the training stuff. And the weaponization. But. And, and, and as I've said before, if you put a gun to my head and said 100 billion in spending cuts or these policy changes, I take the policy changes in a minute because that's more important. And no amount of spending cuts that even anyone's proposing is really going to change the trajectory. Except he's not going to do it. Because the same reason he's caving on the spending, he's going to cave on the policies. He says, clearly, we can't have a government shutdown. And and the thing about Mike Johnson is, he's even worse than McCarthy. McCarthy would go up to the line a little bit. Here, he likes to do it weeks in advance. We will never even give an inkling that will challenge the deadline. And not just for like... Uh, 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 an appropriation deadline that could trigger a government shutdown, but even a reauthorization deadline that won't, like we saw with FISA or the NDAA. No, 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 it's got to be done. And this is what I warned you last year. I said, look, I said, there's different outcomes you can get for a speaker. And I, I listed four levels. And one of the points I made is that the worst thing you can get is someone who is perceived as one of us, but he's in fact not. Because then you know, as opposed to one of them that we could hold as a hostage and have a proverbial gun to their head, like like with a McCarthy, here, they have a gun to our head. There's no appetite to get rid of him. You know, a couple of guys in the Freedom Caucus are ticked off about this. They'll mouth off. They'll vote against it. You know, could be up to 80 people will even vote against it. But every single Democrat will support this. This precedent of passing bills with 100% Democrat support, even when Republicans control it, started under Trump. And no, it wasn't Paul Ryan. I mean, Paul Ryan certainly was, and Trump endorsed his speakership while uh, um, DeSantis was trying to get rid of him. But it was his cabinet picks, like Steven Mnuchin, and then his White House officials like Jared Kushner who pushed all that stuff. So that's where we are. And nothing will ever change. I want I want to make that very clear. Nothing will ever change. Because let's look ahead. Right now, you have the most unpopular Democrat president who's comatose. This is not a Bill Clinton, this is not a Barack Obama. You have the border invasion that everyone agrees is a problem. You will never get a more auspicious time to have a a showdown. You go in the future, I I say this all the time, best case scenario, you have a trifecta. 
but you're not going to have 60 votes. So anything you try to pass legislatively will be filibustered. So the only leverage you have is the budget. Democrats will filibuster in the Senate. Well, you can't have a government shutdown. You see what I'm saying? This will never change. And then, of course, as we note all all the time, Republicans have super majority, super duper majority trifectas in a number of red states, and they still don't deliver. Okay, so so let's get that through our, our head. It's not because of a lack of power. It's because of a lack of will. But it's also because a lack of pressure being applied from those who are paid to do what I do full time to hold down that fort on the right, to pressure them. They don't feel any pressure. We don't focus on the legislative fights. We don't focus on primaries and we don't put the two together. So why should they feel danger? You know, we already should be pledging not to vote for some of these people in the general election. We don't do that. So we have no leverage. It's all about fealty to one man. Don't you see nothing has changed? And this is what I want to get to with the presidential election. At some point, something has got to change. Okay, we're going to keep doing this. Well, Daniel, you're right. Nothing's going to change here, but maybe the state legislatures. Well, look, I'm going to keep focusing. We're going to do what we can do. We're going to do what we can do. But the reality is, unless you have a leader of the party that's going to lead by example and lean in and change the party policy-wise, ideologically, it will never change. Do we want to remain stuck in victimhood, always losing, content with crying about losing, or do we actually want to break out of this vicious cycle of defeat? And this is what it comes down to. You know, the beauty of Iowa is there's no early voting and there's no even same-day voting, meaning it's not like something that you could, you know, put out to the media, oh, looks like Trump's going to win, looks like it. No, no, no. It's just for one hour at the end of the day. You come in, much lower turnout because of greater commitment. Now, I'm not saying if DeSantis wins Iowa, it's a, it's a shoe and he necessarily wins, but it, it now makes it a fight and it's game on. And we could have the debate that these people have refused to have. And this is what is so indefensible. I said all the time, even if you're not quite where I am, that you don't quite, you, you kind of were in a coma for those four years and slept through, you could go through hundreds of columns, hundreds of shows I did, respectfully, but we talked about what was achievable, how Trump's personnel and policy, nine times out of ten, were either screwing us or underselling what what could have been done. We lived through this. Long before I ever knew DeSantis would ever be a contender one day and challenge him for a presidency. The notion that between these two men, there's nothing to see. Nothing to see. We don't even want to at least have them together in debate. That is the hallmark of a grifter. You know, we have Exodus 18.21. We're talking a lot about Exodus today. From Jethro gave uh, Moses an idea of who to appoint as judges, as leaders. So when you're looking for leadership qualities, what is the biblical worldview on leadership? 
So Exodus 1821, it's time we talk about that. But you shall choose out of the entire nation men of four traits, four character traits. One, it says able or capable or men of substance. These are all different translations that you can go with from the original Hebrew, which is a little bit of a metaphorical word that's used in, in, in that verse. Men of, you know, capable men, able men, men of substance. I want you to think about that. Capable to implement, accomplish, stay on task, stay focused. We have a record that juxtaposes the two of them from one end of the earth to the other on a spectrum of capability. We have proof of concept. Like none other. You know, I'm just looking. You know, Andrew Warren, the suspended Soros attorney in Florida that, that, that DeSantis chucked, he announced that he's not seeking another term. He could run for re-election. He said it's not worth it because DeSantis will just suspend him again. <laughs> because with him, it's not a talking point, a campaign talking point. He'll, he'll actually do it. He'll do it as many times as it needs to be done. That's called winning. That's called enduring victories. And, and it's important to recognize that's a blue area. He probably could get reelected. But this is how DeSantis wielded power to even countermand the left in the blue parts of Florida, the urban areas. We haven't seen this our entire lifetimes. Haven't seen this. So anyway, four character traits. Men of substance, capable. Number two, God-fearing. Yeah, I, I know that's very novel. I know we have we have been inculcated with this mindset on the right the last number of years that as long as the guy fights, and fighting is defined not as the first thing, able, capable substance, but just like, you know, psychotic driveling on social media, that's a fighter. And, you know, everything else is between him and God. We could have a dirtbag that says he never asked God for forgiveness, doesn't fear God, doesn't anything, nothing. Yeah, you know, it kind of makes a difference. It kind of makes a difference. Number three, men of truth. Who will stop lying to us. You know, one of the things about DeSantis is, and a lot of us have seen this firsthand the last year, he will not utter a word of a promise to exaggerate, self-aggrandize. He won't um, use hyperbole. What, what's amazing is he's the first person in a lifetime to come along whose bite is louder than his bark. And this is kind of what he struggles with. He will not take a shortcut outside of the truth. If he doesn't believe something is achievable, he won't promise to do it. And, and, and a lot of us, I'll tell you firsthand, we're like, say this, say this. And this is the thing. He'll promise a seven, deliver a 10. But everyone else is used to hearing well, if you promise a seven, that means you're going to deliver a four, right? You have to knock off points because that's what we're used to. He is such a stickler for it. Even if it will get him an extra 10 points, he won't do it. He won't posture. And that's what people don't understand. And that's why he always says this. If he makes a promise, it will. you could take it to the bank. He'll get it done. He'll get it done. See, 
what, what we are all the reason we're losing and 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 you got to look back why do we continue losing is it because we haven't had people who use aggressive rhetoric really i mean we've never not at a time where you have elected republicans talkers people that rhyme with tucker they say all sorts of things what we haven't had is people who speak the truth no i don't mean the the ones that read the room and tell them what they want to hear. It's like, oh, Daniel, Vivek really speaks the truth. Yeah, which truth? <laughs> the one <laughs> the one from every opinion he's taken multiple sides based on the the mood of the of the country at the time. And then finally four, so you have capable substance, capable slash capable, God fearing men of truth, and men who hate, you know, either monetary gain, covetousness. Because again, it's got to be selfless. They don't they don't care about the money. We have never seen in our lifetime a man that will eschew both at a policy and personal level monetary gain. Give back federal grants, won't take federal money. Pick fights with his biggest donors. People don't realize how remarkable this campaign is. The the Ron DeSantis campaign is running on a shoestring. Like everyone thought, oh my gosh, he's gonna bomb the airwaves. You know, like where are the ads? Where are the ads? Oh, maybe he's gonna bomb it the last few weeks. I mean, he has some ads up, but it's it's underwhelming. He doesn't have a lot of money. All the money was the super PAC because of the campaign finance rules. So he had a lot as governor and he crushed it, so he didn't need a lot of the money. So he was able to transfer it, but only to a super PAC. So it was all in the super PAC. It was mismanaged. And then his own campaign, one after another, the donors ran away. At first, there was an inkling, maybe some donors that don't like his views, but they want to win and they want to get rid of Trump. Maybe they support him. But he made it very clear. He will not bend on a single issue. And they're like, he's too right wing. And that's why they're all supporting Nikki Haley. And Nikki is flush with cash. She raised another $24 million. He literally gave it all up. He gave it all up. Will not pander to a donor. I've spoken to DeSantis' political people before. (laughs) They talk about it's refreshing but difficult working for him on the political side because, you know, if you have to deal with donor relations, forget it. Like, he's a nightmare. He will not pander. He will never, ever, ever pander. If there's an issue that you think maybe he's not going strong enough, it's because he thinks at the moment he doesn't have the leverage to enact it, so he's not going to talk about it that much. That's just how he is. He spends his capital on... He, you have to have target acquisition. The site, the, My sights are on a target. It's in front of me. I could pull the trigger. I pull the trigger. And that's what he expends all his energy on. Take it or leave it. We have never seen such a dichotomy. And this is why we we have leaders, every one of our top voices, whether they're elected Republicans, unelected right-wing talkers, it's all about their next paycheck. And I, believe me, I understand it. Some of you may have noticed the past, we're opening up this week with uh, not many advertisers. You know, and I certainly appreciate you guys supporting them. That just gives me enough that we can keep this going. But, you know, I 
I've had a lot of opportunities. The McConnell people wanted to bring me in because of my policy expertise. Hey, I like the way you you express things. Come on, let's get together. I don't know why you like bashing our boss. We could really get together. And instead, I recruited against him and never answered that email. It's the same thing with the Trump people. During COVID, they all appreciated it. You know, now they don't want to talk about the vaccine. Or if they do, they never trace it back to the man. But all those people, that whole kind of orbit, if you know what I mean, I broke a lot of relationships. It was all pain and no gain. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But it's not exactly a good model. I want, I want to bring this to a head. DeSantis's campaign just put out, I'm assuming this is just a web ad. I don't think it's airing on broadcast. About a minute and a half. We all know Trump's treachery on inflation, spending, and COVID. But a lot of people forget immigration. So this adds, you're going to hear voiceover clips of Tucker, mainly Tucker, but also Laura Ingram, Mark Levin, some others, talking about the, the circa 2018 when Trump's administration was pushing amnesty. Take a listen right here. We will break the cycle of amnesty. Those days are over. And yet today, in a remarkable twist, the president held a televised meeting with the very swamp creatures he once denounced. He told them he trusted them to craft immigration policy without his input. The White House proposal would legalize about two million people who currently have no right to be here. That's a lot of people. A path to citizenship for 1.8 million illegal immigrants, almost three times more people than the previous administration covered. Then he suggested he'd be willing to accept any deal they produced, even a bad one. I will be signing it. I'm not going to say, oh, gee, I want this or I want that. I'll be signing it. And here's the part that made Jeb Bush all warm and fuzzy. It should be a bill of love. Truly, it should be a bill of love. Very few of the president's supporters voted for that when they put him in office last year, and some of them are upset about it. My kids were born and raised in America. We have dreams, too. Right-wing media like Breitbart calling the president amnesty Don. You've given them more than they could ever have expected from Barack Obama. Donald Trump ran on the premise that America's borders ought to be real, that the repeated amnesties of the past have betrayed voters, and that this country deserves an immigration policy that looks out for American interests. If you are in the so-called establishment Republican Party, this has been a great stretch yep. for you. So what was the point of running for president? Okay, folks, so there's a lot to unpack there. And, and I, I want to say just first, you know, when, when it comes to campaigns, people are about the, the person, not the ideas. So it's all about, well, you're supporting him, so you're saying that. I have a well-established record. I have the most prolific byline from 27 to 2019 talking about immigration. So I, for those of you who only knew me like after COVID, a lot of you tuned in, you know, came and found the show 2020. So I covered immigration under Trump with as much focus as I did COVID, you know, thereafter. And people forget that the history is very convenient. But we had about 400,000 apprehensions a year, averaging back, you know, from 2008. And then when Trump came into office the first few months, 
the border ground to a halt because the the cartels and the and the invaders they viewed they they took his rhetoric seriously they they're like oh my gosh this is the forget it but then they started to see it was a paper tiger and they started coming and they started challenging and they challenged him in several ways domestically the blue cities started with sanctuary cities there might have been a few before trump but it started in earnest under trump they're like screw that cuz again they were trying to Equal and opposing force. If you threaten the left that you're going to implement something and then don't implement it, you get the worst of all because the left reorganizes and recalibrates to confront what they perceive as an onslaught. So they they start getting uh, creative to get around that. And that's what they did with sanctuary cities. They're like, all right, well, we're going to play hide the ball with ice so you can't deport. You know, and sanctuary areas are where most illegals live. And then they started this brazen open invasion. So before the Trump presidency, you didn't have caravans, really. Okay? You just had, um, you know, ones and twos, and, and, and they could add up to a lot, but it was it was quiet. Here, they were able to just come blatantly and say, there's nothing you can do. And with that, they had lawfare with the courts and everything. We talked a lot about that. And we begged Trump. And what happened was it grew and it grew with the caravans, and then finally, in 2018, you had 800,000 doubling the level. And yeah, obviously now it's more, but it's built off of that. And by the way, B, some of these people, even under Biden, are being sent back. There are a lot of single adults, whereas under Trump, they were almost all family units, and they all remained and remain in the country to this day. People forget COVID, ironically, is the only thing that stopped it. So then you have this break. It perfectly looks like, oh, it started with Biden. And I understand why people think that if they didn't live through it. But COVID stopped it. If not for COVID, this thing would have run out of control. Then he started talking about amnesty. And that's that clip there. They're like, oh, so you're like everyone else. Okay? This man, he doesn't, he has no scruples. He has no principles. He'll veer off into anything. And if you noticed, something that rhymes with Tucker did mildly call him out. Now, he never sustained it, but once in a while, Tucker would do that. And then now, it's like none of that existed. See, he's the worst because he knows. He knows. And we have it on recording from the Dominion lawsuit, all the things he said about Trump. He literally said the same things as I did. But it's all about Monetary gain, covetousness, my next paycheck, my next grift. So no one, see, look, I could, I have so much material. See, I could get out today and talk about Mike Johnson's a loser and the budget and, 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 you know, people pass around. I have an article out. No one will do the legislation and the budget stuff like I do. And P, I, I could get on Bannon War Room. I could have gotten on all the other, other shows, you know. All I have to do is just not trace this all back to one man. Just like with the vaccines. But I'm not going to lie to you. Because sometimes you could have obfuscation that is so blatant and unambiguous that it really is a direct lie to not talk about that. And that's just the way it is. So let us never forget 
that this thing with the border invasion, it started under Trump. And I, I just wanted to note that, um, where is this? Last week, there was a story that Trump held a private huddle with the, with the head of the Teamsters Union, president of the Teamsters Union, Sean O'Brien. And O'Brien put out a message, there are serious issues that need to be addressed to improve the lives of working people across the country, and the Teamsters Union is making sure our members' voices are heard as we head into a critical election year. We thank the former president for taking time during a private meeting to listen to the Teamsters' top, top priorities. Now, I know the Trump apologists will be like, yeah, what do you mean? He's just trying to, you know, create a coalition. There's some union issues we... we you know, agree with the, you know, the way uh, blue collar workers are being treated and yada, yada. But dude, in theory, that's true among the rank and file. And that's why among the rank and file, uh, you know, their, 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 their votes have moved over 20, 30 points to the Republican Party relative to last generation. But when you're meeting with O'Brien, the Teamsters boss, they're part of the elite globalist stuff like any other organization, worse than any of them. And you know when Trump meets with them, it's not from a position of strength. It's not like, hey, let's see, there might be one or two issues we might agree on that we could drive a wedge between you and the left, even though you're against us on a lot of issues. No, he panders. It's the same thing with when he met with the black organizations with crime. It's not like, let's see one or two things we could agree. No, no. It's from a position of weakness. When you don't have scruples, you everything's about yourself. You don't have truth. You don't fear God. You don't know anything so you're not capable you're not you don't you don't have substance you don't have fear of god you don't have truth and you certainly don't have selflessness from personal gain and covetness covet coveted ah, covetousness that's how king james translates exodus 1821 then guess what every time you're going to take the path to least resistance. Because again, why, why should I fight through a government shutdown? Why should I fight through a debt ceiling? Why should I fight through the COVID lies? Why should I, I'll just give in to it. I'll be made a hero. If I personally don't care, that's what his presidency was. We all go back, it's like a ratchet. Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. That's what our history has been. Each one, the Republicans failed to turn back the previous one and actually make it worse, but maybe a little bit slower. And then that allows the next Democrat to come in and make it even worse. We're like, oh my gosh, I wish we had the Republican back. But it's all one-two. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a one-two punch. It's a forward advancing guard. It's a controlled opposition. It's not this or this. The Democrats rely on that to dull our senses and lower our expectations of what we want to accomplish. So I don't know. I don't know where things are headed in Iowa. All I know is if we had a movement to focus directly on it, there definitely is momentum. The engagement's off the, off the roof there. I don't know what's going to happen. There's this guy, Robert Salvador, who's going to be on Steve's show tomorrow. He's doing AI poll, polling. I don't know what that is, so you'll have to tune in. But I understand the basic premise that you could, you know, it's not just, okay, you flip a coin, you call 500 people, See, you know, pull them random sampling, but you pick up, you use AI to pick up trends. And his numbers show 40% for Trump, 34 
for DeSantis, 16 for Haley, 10 for Ramaswampy. So just a six-point game with every indicator showing Trump going trending down and DeSantis trending up. I don't want to give you false hope. I don't know if that's right. You talk to anyone on the ground, that would roughly reflect the picture of what they seem to be seeing. Now, with that said, I've seen many times where the establishment big-name guy doesn't have a lot of support, but he's got the name. So the the challenger is very the challenger supporters are very passionate, but you know, like we saw with you know, we woke up with the Texas election and thanks to Trump's endorsement, something that rhymes with Greg Abbott won, even though all the intensity was behind Don Huffines and uh, Alan West. And he crushed it. So I don't know what to expect. I could expect any, any outcome wouldn't surprise me. But this is game on. I just want to show you, you know, for a little bit, few few tens of thousands of people, we could change so much of this. It doesn't have to be this way. If we actually focused on the primaries that matter, on the legislation that matters, the leverage points that matter, the areas where we would control with our sphere of influence, none of this would have ever happened. One of two things would have happened. We either would have had a national divorce a long time ago, or more likely, having 20 governors like DeSantis and that in itself would make DeSantis 100 times better. The synergistic effect of not being out on a limb, of having multiple people speak the truth and, 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 and implement policies in accordance with that truth would have served as such a deterrent on the left that they would have never been able to fly this far away. But when we're sitting, sitting and getting drunk on nonsense, this is what happens. And guess what? Nothing changes. Just know it doesn't have to be this way, folks. None of this was inevitable. As DeSantis has been saying, decline is a choice. It is a total choice. Everyone says, you know, Trump exposed the deep state. Well, I agree. He exposed it in the same way someone goes up to a hornet's nest and kicks it without having protective gear or like, you know, a can of raid in your hand to then spray them when they come charging at you. Oh, he, yeah, he taunted them and then was weak as heck. And we got the worst of all. The Republican Party did not change one iota. I would argue we've gone backwards on primaries. We've gone backwards on expectation on budget when Republicans control Congress. Now, Elise Stefanik, everyone's talking because Elise Stefanik talks about January 6th, which, which, rather than focusing on a certain substance, has become more of a, a clicky cultural thing now. You just kind of have fealty to that thing. Also, Elise Stefanik's a hero now. She literally voted for Pfizer reauthorization, but she's a hero because she called J6 prisoners hostages. It's all about the language. Okay, it's all about the promise, the words. Toss out words. They want to pander. They're going to, yeah, they pandered. Yes, thank you for saying the word. Oh, whoops. Yeah, we've been doing this our entire lives. Just know it doesn't have to be this way. Now, again, for my part, whatever happens next Monday, we're going to focus on the art of the possible, what we can do. Talk about later this week, the top legislative initiatives we have for the red states. You put it together, it will blow your mind what we can do on a state level. But 
you know, we need men who don't fear money, but they fear God. You know, what's so amazing is I look at, let, let me give you two people. One guy has a laptop with some sort of recording software and a microphone. That defines me and certainly all my colleagues. Another guy is the governor of the third largest state with the most seniors during COVID. Okay? Imagine being a hundred light years more bold as the governor of Florida than as a talking head. Never forget it was something that rhymes with Tucker that was instrumental in getting uh, Trump to go along with lockdown. And never forget, everyone's like, Ramaswampy is is amazing. He advised Mike DeWine and he was promoting masking later in time than DeSantis was already trashing it as governor of Florida when at that time, everyone laughs at it now, but at that time, that was viewed as you are killing people and seniors if you don't wear that. And we're like, yeah, you know, DeSantis sucks. Look at Ramaswamy as that that's the way he should be running. Yeah, it doesn't cost him anything. He'll tell anyone anything they want to hear. He'll read the room at a given time and tell you what you want to hear. Show me who on the horizon has those skills of Exodus 1821. Folks, that's just the way it is. Hope you guys uh Send this show to every one of your friends and relatives. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we surge above those who focus on people rather than ideas. And look, if you can go to the campaign website, they have a way to do phone banking for Iowa. I'm telling you, it's literally a few tens of thousands of people. Ultimately, one of two things are true. The the super PAC says they have 60,000 commitments to vote for DeSantis. If that is true, that's downright enough to win, not just to overperform. So either that's true or the polls are true. They can't both be true. Although it is a little bit interesting that we've had the fewest polls out of Iowa in like 50 years. Very sparse. I don't know. I don't want to get your hopes up. But what I do want to show you is how much could hinge on just, you know, 30,000 people. We could change so much and break ourselves out of this. We've never had this. From the time we had that reawakening around the Tea Party era, we never wound up getting a national leader anywhere close to this caliber. And instead it was hijacked. It's time to take it back. Time to take it back in Iowa but also in every one of our red state areas. We could take it back by actually being focused and not a bunch of numbskull idiots. So folks, until tomorrow, Chronicles 2714. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.